Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is John Lyons, right now on WEEI. Welcome into WEEI. I'm John Lyons. I'm going to be with you for the next three hours. Just me. But I do have some friends to help me along. I got Joe Braverman producing. Howdy, John. Thank goodness you're here, Joe. Because otherwise I'd be all alone. You know. So I got Joe Braverman here. We're going to have Justin Turpin coming in later. And on the Harbor One Hotline, so I, usually on WEEI, like when we're on the weekends, we don't have that many guests. But there's a lot of big Boston sports news going on this weekend. So I wanted to have a couple experts on. We're going to have Nat Gordo at 1220 to talk about the Red Sox signing Lucas Giolito. You may know him on Twitter as Boston Sports Gordo, but we're going to have him on at 1220. We're going to have Keith Smith, who covers the NBA and the Celtics for Spot Rack, on at 120 to talk about the Celtics. Are they the best team in the NBA? I think so. I think Keith might think so, but I want to hear what he has to say. I also want to hear what he has to say about their recent West Coast road trip and all they've been through this season, mostly good, but the occasional down game, such as the Golden State game a couple weeks ago. But I should also point out Justin Turpin, who's coming in at 1 o'clock, uh, co-host of the newest podcast here for Odyssey, Slammed with Megan Ottolini. Real? Can, can you uh, give us a little detail on that? Yeah, it's just uh, your weekly Celtics podcast here from Odyssey. And what's it called? It's called Slammed. You can Slammed. find it anywhere you okay. get podcasts. Oh, no, it's usually what I'm called at about... 12.30 a.m. on some Saturday nights. I don't know about a podcast. Hey, there we go. Mego and Turpin. That's a good combination right there. And that's two people that really know their Celtics basketball. I'm excited to talk to Justin Turpin when he gets in here a little bit later. So I want to start with that Celtics game. We're going to talk quite a bit about Lucas Giolito as well signing with the Boston Red Sox last night. And, of course, we're going to do a year in review for all four Boston teams. We've had quite a few ups and downs in Boston sports this year. You know, The Celtics got to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Bruins had the best regular season in NHL history. The Patriots drafted a guy I loved in the first round. And uh, the Red Sox, I guess... I mean, they signed Lucas Giolito, so we'll give them that. However, all four teams also had some major negatives this year, so I want to get into both sides of it. But I want to start, like I said, with that Celtics game last night. They beat the Toronto Raptors 120-118. to This game, they had a larger lead early. They are up by 15 at the end of the first quarter. They were kind of cruising in the first half. They get outscored by two in the third quarter, and then Toronto really claws back in the fourth. They end up outscoring the Celtics in the fourth, the Celtics do hang on 
and win. And look, I, I understand the Celtics had a big lead and they let it slip, but they had no Tatum. They had no Porzingis. And what I really took from this game was that late game execution. I thought the Celtics, especially offensively, did a really great job with overall, especially Jalen Brown. And yesterday on these airwaves from 2 to 6 p.m., I was here with Mark Dondero, and we talked about how the Celtics, despite all the great things they've done, we want to see, hey, can Jalen Brown make big plays in a tight game? Because at some point in the playoffs, you're going to need Jalen Brown to make a key play in a tight spot in a big game, right? You're going to need that. And, of course, you're going to get that from Tatum. I think you're going to get that from Porzingis as well. By the way, Porzingis, in the last six minutes of games with the score within six points, or excuse me, last five minutes score within six points, he has the best two-point field goal percentage in the NBA, shooting 90% in those situations. So you know you're going to get good basketball from Porzingis late. I think you're going to get good basketball from Tatum late. But last night we saw it with Jalen Brown. And really, to me, the highlight, 32 seconds left. Luke Cornett takes a two-foot alley-oop, throws it down. But it was the drive and the pass from Jalen Brown that really stood out to me. And Brian Scalabrini on the telecast said, well, that's maybe a pass that Jalen Brown wouldn't have made last year. And Jalen Brown talked about how this summer he really focused on being a facilitator and growing his game in that regard. And I thought that was a terrific example of it. I mean, you're 32 seconds left. It's a 116-116 game. Again, this is that type of game, and I've talked about it all week on these airwaves, that type of game that the Celtics would have lost last year. I'm Just, not sure Jalen Brown makes that play a year ago. Perfect, right? Scal knows it. This is the type of game the Celtics would have lost a year ago. And instead, they make the crunch time plays led by Jalen Brown. So Jalen Brown, again, 32 seconds left. He drives the lane. Defenders start to collapse on him. What does he do? He makes the great feed to Luke Cornett for the easy dunk. You know, I thought, to, again... Brown doesn't walk away with the points there. He gets the assist, but I thought that basketball IQ play and that pass, I agree totally with Scal. I don't think that's a pass he makes last year or the year before, and it's something the Celtics are going to need, especially now that offensively, late in games, they have a lot more options than they had over the last few years, right? You can go to Porzingis late. I mentioned the numbers with him. You can go to Tatum late. You can go to Drew Holiday even late if you want. You can go to, I mean, how good is Derek White? How about two nights ago against Detroit? 10 points in overtime, including that huge three. Like, Derek White has been awesome in late-game situations. So you're going to have so many options now. And, of course, Jalen himself can hit shots. But to be able to facilitate and pick the right guy, I thought was huge by Jalen Brown. Of course, look, look, I'm not telling you Luke Cornett's going to be the guy that wins you Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals at the end. But there's going to be somebody out there, and the Celtics are going to have to make the right decision. And I thought Jalen Brown did. And Brown, overall... 31 points last night. He did have seven turnovers, but 31 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. He was an absolute force in this game. And this was a game without Porzingis, without Tatum, as I mentioned earlier. And he checks in with 31. Luke Cornett, who I mentioned before. How about 20 points from him in a fill-in role? Nice game from him. And the Derek murder Cornett with his game of the life. Joe Braverman, is there a Celtics player playing better right now than Derek White? Not at all. I don't Not think so. At all. And look, I know Tatum's the first-team All-NBA guy. I know Porzingis is the unicorn and arguably the biggest X-factor that the Celtics have. And I know Jalen Brown is the Supermax guy who's also a second-team All-NBA guy. But right now, over the past two weeks, Derek White has arguably, arguably been the best player on the Boston Celtics. And I think that's great to see because this is a guy that he came over from the Spurs a couple of years ago, made some early contributions. I thought last year for long stretches of the season, he was the second or third best player on the Boston Celtics. Now 
he's playing sometimes like the second or third or fourth even best player because they have so many options. But then there's nights that he's playing like the best player on the Celtics. I mean, Sacramento last week, they come off that tough loss to Golden State, which, by the way, Derek White had 30 points in. But then he has 28 points against Sacramento in that game, that bounce-back game. He has 18 points against the Clippers, 18 points against the Lakers, 23 against Detroit. And, and I mentioned he had that in Detroit. He had 10 points in overtime. He also had that huge and one to take, I think it was a 113-112 lead. I mean, just great play by Derek White. Another 21 points last night. How about the blocks? I mean, he had a stretch of five games earlier this month where he had 14 blocks, which was the most blocks in a five-game stretch by a guard in the history of the NBA. So I, pretty damn impressive, if you ask me, from Derek White. And he's continued that. He had but two here's, bo- here's the issue, though, at least from a, a national standpoint, about you know everyone's driving the campaign of wanting to get him on the All-Star team. Which I think he should be. Right. But he would be, would you say, maybe the fourth best player? Like, would you still rank him ahead of, like, Tatum, Brown, No, so on the whole, it's a good point, Joe. Like, right now, I think he's he's playing... Yeah, because he's a role player, and role players historically don't make the All-Star team as J.J. Reddick I would argue Draymond Green is a Hall of Fame-level role player. If you think about what he does, defense, tenacity, he'll hit some shots, but that dynasty, yeah, Steph and Clay were the shooters, the Splash Brothers. Draymond Green, okay, you can put Steph number one, Draymond Green's right there with Clay as a close second. And I know he was a starter, but he had a specific role to play, much like Derek White. And I think the key, Joe, about Derek White is he'll step up and he'll give you those big nights whenever you need it from him. And also with Derek White, I always can depend on him to make the right basketball play. Right, So whenever he's out there, whether it's the right pass, the right shot, the right defensive play, rarely ever gets into major foul trouble either. Like, I can always depend on that guy. So, yeah, I think he should be an all-star. And there's a lot of great guards in the Eastern Conference. I won't take that away. But I think he has shown this season, but especially over the past three weeks or so, this guy, he should be an all-star to me, Joe Braverman. I mean, he's an all-star level player, and he's definitely valuable. But when you look at sometimes the guards that he also goes against, I think it was a couple weeks ago, Eddie House like listed all the guards that there are, and it's very guard-heavy in yep. the Eastern Conference. You got Brown, who's who's a tweener between yeah. a guard and Donovan a forward. Donovan Mitchell's obviously Donovan there. Donovan Mitchell, like, to me, that's... Jalen Brunson. Yeah. Those are just a few off the top of my head. Like Tyrese Maxey's been right, phenomenal right. this Tyrese year. Tyrese Halliburton. You, Derek, just like, yeah. national standpoint, though. Like, you and me see it. Like, he should be on the All-Star team. Yeah. But do the coaches Trey and the Young media even. and do every does everyone in the national standpoint see Derek White on that same level. I don't think they do. And, and and part of it is, when you think of the Celtics, you think of Tatum and Brown and now Porzingis. And I think, though, you know, he has that game winner in Game 6 last year. I think that gave him some national pump. But Celtics lost Game 7, right? So I think if they had made the finals and he had been a big contributor there, it would have helped. But I, I think you're right. I think when people think of great guards in the East, he's not the first name that comes to mind. He's not even the first name that comes to mind when you think of the Celtics. But I think he's played... Maybe not an all-star starter level, but he's played, to me, at an all-star level of play. I do have a quick call here. I want to take John in Northborough. Wants to talk a little bit about the Celtics. John, welcome in. Hey, good morning, boys. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. Uh, listen, that was, def- that was definitely a nice win last night without Porzingis and Big Al and, and, and Tatum. And, and Brown did have a, have a good game, but seven turnovers. I mean, he's committing turnovers at a an epic pace. I mean, he had the problem last year. So, 
I mean, you know, it's a tie ball game there at the end, but, you know, is it tied if he doesn't have seven turnovers? And I realized last night without, you know, Tatum, he had to handle the ball a little bit more than I think uh, Missoula would have liked. But, uh, you know, I, I got a real problem with the turnovers. That's just yeah. sloppy. And, and John, I, I understand your point there, and I'd agree, and thanks for the call. I think seven turnovers is a lot. I will say this year, Jalen Brown averaging 2.6 turnovers a game, not a number we love, but it's a number that's the lowest he's had since 2020. So he is getting uh, improving, I guess, in the turnover department. He's better than last year. But I think a lot of Celtics fans, when you think of Jalen Brown and you think of ball handling, you immediately think of Game 7 against Miami and all those turnovers. So I think whenever he has a turnover, it's a little bit magnified. But 7 is still a lot. I won't dispute that. But I think, on the whole, he was the primary guy last night without Tatum, without Porzingis. And I don't... Like, I think he's a better ball handler than he was a year ago, but I still don't think that is the core and the strength of his game. And by the way, I understand he's a super max guy. He's a second-team All-NBA. But if ball handling is always something that is not an ultimate strength of his, he can still be a great player. I mean, how many guys have we seen in the NBA be great players who are catch-and-shoot shooters or great defenders or guys who are just great athletes and can get to the bucket, right? So he doesn't have to be this facilitator, especially on a team that has Derek White, who I mentioned is playing like an all-star, that has Drew Holiday, who's won an NBA championship as a facilitating guard and can also score in his own right. You have Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench. Tatum can handle the ball as well. So you have plenty of guys that I think can handle the ball pretty well. So, yeah, look, is Brown going to have to do it sometimes? Sure. Do I want him to have seven turnovers in a game? No. But I don't think there is as much pressure on him to be a ball handler like there was a year ago. Even if, God forbid, we get into another playoff game where Tatum sprains his ankle and is ineffective, you still have White, Holiday, other guys that can handle the ball. Whereas last year was, hey, Tatum's ineffective. We're just going to go to Brown, 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 Brown. Now... You, you have a different element there, okay? Obviously, I'm not saying yeah, I want that. Test, I, I, what I think is two things from Brown that changed from last season to this season. One was mental. I think he's uh, more confident because yep. he has that big contract. The second, I think he trusts his surroundings. I don't know if he really trusted Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon last year, but the pieces around him this year, as you mentioned, White, Holiday, Porzingis, he even said last night, which uh, I'll play during my trending, is that He's crediting the coaching staff. I mean, how many times last year were there sort of these subtle shots about, like, I think we should have done this. I think we should have done that. So he's trusting the surroundings that he has around him. Yeah, and I would agree, and I think the confidence piece is big. And, and again, I keep going back to, we played the scal cut earlier. That pass he made to Cornette, I, I don't think he makes that last year. I think his vision was great on that particular play. I think the pass was great, but I think... That's not an isolated incident. We've seen him doing a much better job this year of facilitating, of seeing the whole floor, and the Celtics' offense is much better for it. Joe Braverman, we just spent 15 minutes on that Celtics win. We didn't even mention that the Red Sox signed Lucas Giolito, which we're going to dive into next segment with Nat Gordo. You know him as Boston Sports Gordo, but before we do that, we got a trend with our good friend Joe Braverman. The Greg Hill Show, weekdays 6 to 10. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. Trending with a good friend. That's a good segue, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Despite being shorthanded and on the second night of a back-to-back, the Celtics moved to 16-0 at home with a 120-118 victory over the Raptors. It was their fifth straight win. The Seas did lead by as much as 20, but were able to hold on. Jalen Brown, as we talked about, led the way with 31 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists. And as I teased, he talked post-game about the coaching staff and the management that surrounded him with all these pieces. I think our coaching staff and front office has done a great job of kind of constructing and putting me in spots where uh, I can make it tough on teams. No credit to the coaching staff 
as the season has gone on, it put me in better spots where I can be more of a playmaker, not just with the ball, but without the ball as well. And I've been able to take advantage of my, my reads. Derek White was right behind him with 21 points. And Luke Cornett, as we mentioned, got the start. He had 20 points, 9 of 11 shooting, and 8 rebounds. Next up for the Celtics will be New Year's Eve night in San Antonio taking on the Spurs. Red Sox made a move in free agency last night. The team has signed starter Lucas Giolito to a two-year, $38.5 million contract. The right-hander finished 8-15 with a 4-8-8 ERA with three different teams in 2023. He also gave up an AL high 41 home runs. Bruins are back in the ice tonight, hosting the Devils from TD Garden. Coach Jim Montgomery said recent call-up Georgi Merkulov will be in the lineup for his NHL debut. Puck drop is set for 7 o'clock. Final injury report has been released as the Patriots head to Buffalo for their final road game of the season. Juwan Bentley, Kayshawn Booty, Trent Brown, Ezekiel Elliott, and Jalen Mills were removed from the injury report. However, receiver Juju Smith-Schuster has already been ruled out with his lingering ankle injury. Nine other Pats were listed as questionable. Christian Barmore, Miles Bryant, Kyle Duggar, Hunter Henry, Anthony Jennings, Jonathan Jones, Jumperio Peppers, Matthew Slater, and Sean Wade. Pats and Bills kick off from Highmark Stadium at 1 tomorrow afternoon. And staying in the NFL, Week 17 continues today with a Saturday night primetime matchup between the Lions and the Cowboys. You can listen to that game right here on WEEI 93.7 FM. Westwood One's coverage begins at 7.45. I'm Joe Braverman, and that's what's trending on WEEI and WEEI.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Back here on WEEI, we just heard John Henry tell us it's expensive to run a baseball team, which uh, I, I would say that's accurate. However, last night, the Red Sox did make a signing, which is, in the grand scheme of things, not too expensive. And we're going to have Nat Gordo on pretty soon to help help us break that down. But the Red Sox signed right-handed pitcher Lucas Giolito, two-year, $38.5 million contract. There is an opt-out. After the first season. So Giolito's a player that a few years ago, he was really good. Like he got, he was an all-star in 2019. He received Cy Young votes in 2019, 2020, and 2021. The highest he got was 2020. He finished seventh 
And he had, you know, 3.41 ERA in 19, 3.48 in 2020, three and a half in 2021. So he's, you know, good pitcher. And then the wheels came off a little bit in 2022. And, and the White Sox are a big disappointment in 2022. But he did have a 4.9 ERA. Then last year was really a tale of two seasons for him. The first half of the year with the White Sox, he had a 3.79 ERA. Looked like he was much more back on track to that you know, previous few seasons where he had received Cy Young votes. But then he gets traded to the Angels, and it's just a disaster there. He's 1-5, an ERA close to 7. Then he goes to Cleveland, an ERA again close to 7. So I think for Red Sox fans, the question is, which Giolito are you going to get? Are you going to get the Giolito that received Cy Young votes in three straight years, or are you going to get the guy that struggled quite a bit when he went to the Angels and when he went to the Guardians as well. And joining us now on the Harbor One Hotline to help break that down is Nat Gordo. You may know him as Boston Sports Gordo on Twitter. Nat, welcome into the program. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, we're doing pretty well, and I just want to jump right into it. The Red Sox signed Lucas Giolito, this guy that received Cy Young votes in three straight seasons in 2019, 2020, and 2021, but second half of last year struggled quite a bit. He also did struggle in 2022 so it's some mixed emotions maybe with this signing i wanted to get your just initial take on what do you think of giolito himself and what version of the red sox going to get well i've i've always been a big fan of giolito dating back to as you said those cy young vote seasons i mean at that time a lot of people viewed him as an ace i he's 29 or he's he's going to be 29 on opening day i don't think that that is fully behind him he could be that again he flashed it at the at the first half of last year, uh, mid three ZRA heading into the All Star break, had some All Star consideration. This is a guy who can still miss a lot of bats. Like this isn't like I, I think a lot of people see the ERAs the last couple of years and their their minds just go to Corey Kluber. You think that like oh he's washed, you know he hasn't been good for a couple of years. But I don't. He's twenty nine. He still misses bats. Like there's a lot still left in there, and you know it's a it's a two-year commitment if all if all fails it's not the end of the world if, if it does fail but this is a high upside signing these are the gambles that you want teams with the pockets that the Red Sox have taking so I like the move and one thing I found interesting is last year he gives up 41 homers but in his first 21 starts he gave up 20 still not great but 21 20 but then in those last 12 starts he gave up 21 homers in those last 12 starts alone so was this an instance of he just fell apart later in the year? Was it the teams he was on, the ballparks he was pitching in after the tra- – I mean, why did he go from a guy giving up, you know, 20 homers in his first 21 starts to 21 in 12? Well, you, you look at the years previous to 2022, he let up 24. 2021, he let up 27. The 41 that he let up last year is the outlier, and a lot of that, as you said, was that second half of the year. Uh, he, was under, he was going through some personal things and then obviously gets traded – from Chicago all the way to LA. And, you know, we all know what was going on with that angels team last year, kind of a dumpster fire, then gets traded again late or he gets waived in Cleveland, picks him up. So he's going across the country. He's, you know, his personal life is he's going through some things. It's not all that surprising to me that his season kind of fell off the wagon, maybe, maybe a little bit more than it should have, but you know, you hopefully you get him some stability you get him, you know, in a good baseball town with hopefully we think a good pitching infrastructure coming into place. You know, he hopefully sets him up for a rebound. 
Yeah, and you mentioned that this is the type of move a team like the Red Sox can make, right? They A guy who's had some success previously, a little bit of a tough year last year, but they can invest in it. Uh, do you kind of have a sense, like, what version of Giolito do you really, like, is this going to be a guy that could be that ace that you mentioned, like, that he has that potential? Or is this a guy we should look at as, you know, an innings guy, solid second or third starter? Do you think he can get to that ace level that we've kind of seen in the past? Well, as far as the Red Sox should be planning for, I don't think they should plan on him being that ace. I think, you know, his floor, even at his worst, he's making 30, 32 starts a season. So he's going to, and he eats innings too. So like that, that is floor. Even if he's not the Giolito of old, he's going to do that. I want the Red Sox to look at him as that. And if he gets back to the form that, you know, he had in 2020, 2019, 2021, stuff like that, that's great. But view him as an innings eater, mid-rotation guy. Worst case, he solidifies the back end of the rotation with innings. I think the Sox should be trying to get another guy that's better than Giolito to be the move of the offseason. But a move like this is something they needed to make, something a team like the Red Sox, not just with the, with the space below the tax they have, but the deep pockets that they do have. That's, it's a move they needed to make. It's funny, you kind of led right into my next question because I still feel, and it seems like you agree, they need another frontline type starter if they're going to solidify this rotation. I mean, I like Brian Bayo. You know, if you can get Chris Sale healthy, that's great, but we can't depend on that. I like James Paxton if they re sign him, but the health is still a question there. So, my question to you do you think they'll actually pony up and go out and get that frontline guy one way or the other? You know, it's tough because based off of the reports that we're reading from, you know, all the great beat writers uh, covering the Red Sox, it just, and the national guys too, it just doesn't necessarily seem like they're about to spend big money for a Blake Snell or a Jordan Montgomery. You know, there was that report from Mass Live's Chris, Chris Cotillo yesterday that agents have been asking him why the Red Sox are operating like a small market team. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't go out and trade for a frontline guy. You know, we've heard that they've called up the Mariners about their guys. George Kirby's over there, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu. Like, those guys could be available. The Marlins have, you know, Jesus Lazardo is really good. Edward Cabrera's got frontline upside, so he's been injured a lot in his uh, brief career. There's, there's avenues they could go, and I think they're certainly exploring it, and that, that's, that could connect into like a potential Teoscar Hernandez or another outfield signing if they uh, wanted to take one of their young outfielders like a Jaron Duran or Sadon Rafaela or William Abreu and package them with other things to try to get that frontline starter. It doesn't seem like they're going to spend the money, but if they get creative, there's still avenues to acquire that frontline caliber guy. I'm, I'm sure they're trying to do it. I hope they can pull it off. It would be really great for the for this town and the city and this team if they could. Uh, they they certainly need it. You know, as I said before, I don't think Giolito, as much as I like the guy and, and as much as I like the pitcher, I just don't think he can be the best pitcher they get this offseason. Talking about Nat Gordo, a.k.a. Boston Sports Gordo on Twitter, also co-host of the Play Tessie podcast, if you haven't checked that out yet. And look, I... You, you mentioned agents are asking why the Red Sox are operating like a small market team and that the trade market may be an active spot for them. I mean, wh- what I can't figure out, and I'm wondering if you could shed some light, why is that? Like, why are the Red Sox, of all teams, 
especially when there are so many great pitching options out there, whether it's Montgomery or Snell, or maybe you like Corbin Burns or Dylan Cease or one of the guys from the Marlins, whoever it is, why are they operating in this manner? You know, that's that's a great question, and it's one I don't necessarily have the answer to. It. I don't know I don't know if anyone has the answer yeah. to that except for, except maybe except John for the guys Henry. there. Yeah, but it, it feels like their priorities are in building up the Fenway Sports Group portfolio. Like, they just bought the Penguins, and we hear about the stuff at the PGA. Peter Gammons is tweeting today about something with, what, like Indian cricket? I don't know. Like, yeah. they, they're all over the place with this. And, you know, it, it felt before for – you know, the better part of 20 years that it felt like they were solely focused on building the Red Sox into an empire, but now it sort of feels like their priority priorities are building the entire Fenway sports group portfolio into an empire and just owning as many successful, profitable teams as possible. And I think that with the expanded playoff format, they believe that there is a way to get the Red Sox to the playoffs consistently without spending the amount of money that teams like the Dodgers or the Mets or the Yankees spend and, it hasn't gotten them consistently there to this point, but you know a lot of that farm system that they've they've been working to develop hasn't reached the majors. So I guess it sort of remains to be seen. But it is a scary time for Red Sox fans, just as it pertains to ownership's commitment, at least as it seems from the outside. Yeah, the phrase that kind of creeps into my head when you give that answer is bridge year, which I uh, really hope is not yep. the case. Uh, I do want to shift gears here, though. We've talked a lot about the pitching staff. Uh, reports are the Red Sox are heavily, heavily interested in Teoscar Hernandez. What are your thoughts on him? And also kind of what, if anything, you think they should do to address their lineup? Oh, I'm glad that they're looking at bats. I, at, the, uh, at the winter meetings, Craig Breslow kind of downplayed the team's need for a big right-handed bat to sort of protect Devers going between him and Costas in that lineup. And I was, and they're, they're so heavily focused on pitching and like, obviously they should be, but that lineup last year was good. It wasn't great. And you're, you're subtracting Justin Turner, who was probably the most consistent hitter they had all season. And obviously the leader of the team. So I'm glad that they're exploring those avenues. And to touch on your point about Teoscar Hernandez, I think that that move is more significant in the, in the sense that it could allow you avenues to trade from your young pack of outfielders. Like, yes, he is a good right-handed bat, and he certainly hit well in Fenway Park in the past. Uh, the declining OPS every single year is a little bit concerning, which is why I think the team might ne- not necessarily want to give him four years, the four years that he's reportedly seeking. But if they could lock him in for three years and open up the door to trade, to create like a super surplus in the outfield, trade a Jared Duran or a Sadon Rafaela or a William Braid, you could package that up with, you know, you've got a, a ton in your farm system right now in terms of bats, at least. You package that stuff up and you might be able to get yourself a pretty good pitcher, maybe even without trading any of the big three prospects. I'm talking Marcelo Meyer, Roman Anthony, Kyle Teal. There, there's a door there and the Teo, like a potential Teoscar Hernandez signing kind of opens that door. Got a couple uh, more questions for you here, Nat. Um, beyond the Red Sox, I know the highlight and the headline of the offseason has been the Dodgers, and they're going to spend you know $50 billion to win the next 10 World Series, it feels like. Is there a team? There yeah. Is there a team besides the Dodgers, though, that you look at that you think has had a really great offseason and is going to parlay that into a really good 2024 season? 
you know, so little has happened this offseason. Like, you look at some of these teams, and I, I try to, like, predict what's going to happen to see where the market's going to go in terms of guys that the Sox might be able to get. But the team that I think made the move of the offseason, I hate to say it, is the Yankees. I don't know if it's going to parlay them into a World Series, but getting Juan Soto, and I get that he's a rental, but being able to acquire the guy who I consider to be the best hitter in the sport for basically a pack of second-tier prospects and Mike King, who's got only two years of control left, so only one more than the guy you're getting. I thought that was a great move by the Yankees. And then then getting Alex Verdugo, too. They needed left-handed hitting, and you got two left-handed bats right there. And one of them is probably the best left-handed bat in the sport. So they're going to be better this year. We'll see how they fortify that rotation. I don't think they're done. Uh, And obviously they're going to have some competition in this tough AL East. But I, I really like what the Yankees have done. I hate to say it. Yeah, I had a sinking feeling you were going to say the Yankees. And just imagine if Carlos Rodon can bounce back to what he was a few years ago and be a legit number two there. Last question here for you. Why don't you just take a couple minutes, tell the people listening, where can they find your work, and uh, maybe a little bit about the Play Tessie podcast. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm Boston Sports Gordo on Twitter, at BOS Sports Gordo. And I co-host the Play Tessie podcast. We're dropping episodes all week long. I host it with Coop. Pat and Sammy, all great guys. And we, we got handed this platform from Rob, who, uh, Rob Bradford, who had the Bradford show, and he's moved on uh, fully to baseball isn't boring, but he's still on with us every now and then. He's, he's been super awesome to us. But, yeah, I mean, we're covering socks all offseason long. Even if they give us nothing, we still talk about it. And it's been a hell of a lot of fun for us. And, you know, as, I think as the offseason moves forward and the socks put more on the table and you know as we get to spring training into the games it's going to get even better so we've had a lot of fun doing it it's been a hell of an experience an incredible opportunity for us and we have a ton of fun with it yeah even if they give us nothing we'll still give you something that's a pretty good motto right there not bad it's a great podcast too for those that have not had the chance to listen to it it's play tessie through odyssey uh nat gordo thank you very much for taking the time i really appreciate not only the time but your insight as well and hopefully the next time we speak the red Sox will have a another starting pitcher besides lucas giolito yeah sounds good man thanks for having me enjoy your saturday thanks you too that was Nat Gordo. You can find him on Twitter. He's Boston Sports Gordo. Uh, does a great job with the Play Tessie podcast as well. And I think you know we got a couple minutes before break here. He said some things that I agree quite a bit with. Like, I don't want this Lucas Giolito move to be the Red Sox final move. Because next segment, we're going to do a you know, little fun thing because it's the end of the year. So we're going to do a year in review of every team. And next segment, we're going to start on the Red Sox. And the first thing I would say is, I don't want Lucas Giolito to be the best thing of the last year. No disrespect to him, but I want him to be the second best thing going into 2024. Now, maybe they won't make an actual move until early 2024, but I don't want that to be the headline of the offseason. I want them to continue to add to that pitching staff, and I thought he brought up a great point about Teoscar Hernandez. That could be a guy that you sign him. Now, all of a sudden, maybe you can trade a Jaron Duran or one of your younger outfielders and get a, you know, as part of a package and get a Dylan Cease, get a Corbin Burns, get one of those Miami pitchers that he's so high on. And then you really will solidify your pitch, pitching staff because you're in a division where, look, I think the Rays are going to take a little bit of a step back, but they're still probably a 90 win team. We know how good Baltimore is. The Yankees just added Juan Soto. We know how good they potentially can be. The Blue Jays are essentially a playoff team 
year in and or at least a playoff contender year in and year out with this young kind of core up and coming core they have. So you're in a tough division. Obviously, we know how good the Dodgers are in the NL, but the AL's got a lot of good teams. I mean, I mentioned all those teams the AL East. You have the Astros in the AL West. The Rangers just won the World Series. So I think you got to continue to add to that pitching staff. I think if you go into opening day and Lucas Giolito's your second starter, Brian Bayo's your third starter, call it Paxton is your fourth and your fifth is, you know, a healthy Chris Sale or whoever the case may be. And you can jumble the order there if you want, but there's another guy like a true ace at the front of that staff. Then I feel actually pretty good about the Red Sox fighting for a playoff spot. Whereas if that guy's not there, I think we might be in for another non-playoff year because I just think that need is so great for the Red Sox, but the competition they're going to face, they needed to defeat that competition as well. So big thank you to Nat Gordo for joining us. We're going to take a quick break and then uh, take a look back at the year that was for the Boston Red Sox. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's expensive to have baseball players. To have the best... There's a line drive left center field. Deep back by the wall. And it is a home run, I believe. It hit the red line. It is a two-run game-winning home run. Adam Duvall has given the Red Sox the victory on a walk-off home run. We need the baseball gods on their side. We felt it was time for new leadership to help chart a different path forward. I understand that some of you will see me as another Ivy League nerd with a baseball front <laughs> office job. It's true. I'm expressing with my full capabilities And now I'm living in correctional facilities Cause some don't agree with how I do this I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist I'm dropping flavor, my behavior is hereditary but Welcome back in, WEEI, John Lyons We have Joe Braverman behind the glass in his last 10 minutes of the day Before Justin Turpin takes over Big thank you to Nat Gordo for joining us last segment to break down the Red Sox signing of Lucas Giolito and Joe Braverman. I hate to say it. Is that the highlight of 2023 for the Red Sox? I mean, what do we define as like a highlight? Because like we just played highlights, but they're really lowlights. Yeah. And we're talking about a team in the Red Sox that they finished 78 and 84 last place in the AL East, a whopping 23 games out of first place behind the Baltimore Orioles, who won the division, obviously. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's the highlight. I think, at least for me, the highlight is the emergence of Tristan Cassis. Yeah, and I think Tristan Cassis, before he got hurt, he was my pick for Rookie of the Year. I thought he was terrific, really, from like mid-May. on, Like, when he came up or, or early in the season, he had that really difficult stretch early in the year, and then it felt like it just kind of clicked for him. And then once it started kind of clicking, I thought he was one of the better hitters on the entire team. And, and, you know, you look at he was hitting, I think at the end of April, he was hitting like 133. But then, you know, by the time he gets injured and he's out, he's hitting 263. So he really ballooned that average as the year went on, basically once April ended. He finished with 24 homers, 65 RBIs. I mean, 
He played until, what, his last game was September 14th. If he plays the last few weeks, maybe he gets to 30 homers or he's knocking on the door of 30 homers. And I think he's got to improve defensively. I mean, the errors numbers weren't massive, but I do think there was some indecisiveness, it felt like, at times with him in the field. So I think that's something I would like to see him improve. But this guy in Casas looks like someone that could be a cornerstone of your lineup for a decade or more. You're going to have Devers in there for a long time. You have Yoshida in there for several years. And I think Koss is going to, he could end up being the best hitter of the group in this lineup. So yeah, I think the emergence of Tristan Casas is the best thing. I would also say the play of Brian Bayo was, you know, a huge development because think about how long has it been since the Red Sox developed a legit starting pitcher. I mean, you want to throw Clay Buckholes in there 15 years ago or John Lester 16 or 17 years ago. I mean, really, since then, you look at all the good pitchers they've had in this organization since Clay Buckholes came up. I mean, John Lackey was a free agent signing. David Price was a free agent signing. Chris Sale was a guy they traded for. So, you know, most of their good pitchers, I guess if you want to throw Eduardo Rodriguez, who uh, they at least developed, I think, you know, he was a pretty good pitcher for them. But it's been pretty few and far between over the last 15 years of the Red Sox drafting, developing, and then keeping a really good starting pitcher. And I think Brian Bayo can be that guy, right? And I don't want to put too much on Brian Bayo. I know he's still, you know, by pitching standards, a really, you know, young player for the Red Sox, but he pitched really well. Looked like he belonged last year as well, which I think is you know, a very important thing for a young pitcher. Does he, you know, come into the major leagues, especially in a market like Boston? And does he look like he belongs? Because, you know, you look at his ERA, 4.24, 12-11 record. It doesn't necessarily stand out to you a lot, but I think a lot of that had to do with he had an awful September. And maybe he ran out of gas. You want to call it a, you know, first season, quote-unquote, rookie wall if you want for a guy that, you know, turns 25 this May. He was 24 last year because, you know, his last six starts, or excuse me, his last five starts all in September, you know, we're talking about five earned runs, eight earned runs, three, three, three. So he gave up a lot of runs and struggled a lot in September. But prior to that, I mean, he pitched reasonably well in August. He had a couple games where he gave up four earned runs. But other than that, he was really good in August. You know, he was excellent in June, kind of, you know, hit or miss in July, but excellent in June. He was, you know, excellent by, I think, young player standards in the months of April and May. So I think it was a case of him starting to just hit that wall that a lot of young players hit. And if he can get past that this year, and if he can pitch an entire season like he did, you know, the months of May and June and even into July, I think Red Sox fans and the Red Sox themselves will be really happy. So if I'm looking for two huge positives, I'm looking at the development and the emergence of both Brian Bayo and Tristan Casas. But that's all you're getting. Everything else was so bad. Yeah, and you look beyond that, and it's unfortunate, too, because this is a team that, you know, they've won four World Series this century, but then they've also finished in last place three out of the last four years, including back-to-back last-place finishes. And it felt to what was really frustrating to me as someone who is a lifelong Red Sox fan this season, it was the way they lost games, the stupid defensive mistakes, the base. Remember that game against Toronto where they didn't tag up from second base? They lose a game. That, like the base running mistakes that cost them games, the you know bad outfield and infield errors that cost them games. And we started to, like, we talk about their starting pitching staff and they had Lucas Giolito. They only had 53 games where a starting pitcher threw 80 pitches. Or, excuse me, they had 53 games where a starting pitcher threw fewer than 80. That's the sixth most in the MLB. They had zero complete games from their starting pitchers this year. They had a total of 47 quality starts, which was 25th. And part of that was 
their pitching staff, especially their starters, were mostly ineffective outside of Bayo and Paxton for a time. But also, when your team is constantly making errors and they're giving away extra outs, that's going to shorten how much your starter can go. So I think that played into it as well. And I also felt like after the trade deadline, especially the last five or so weeks of the season, there was some quit there, which I, I really hated to see from that an organization. To me, that, I, debate, I debate between that and what we just played with uh, John Henry on a weekend as like the defining moment of the year. Because you could look at John Henry getting booed at Winter Weekend for, I would say, a really, really bad statement for basically saying, oh, it's expensive to have baseball players. Yes, it's expensive to run a franchise. It's expensive to live life, but at least show that you commit. But same thing with the trade deadline, the fact that you just stood put, did nothing when all everything around you, everyone around you is saying, we need to invest, we need to add, and they just sit on their hands and do absolutely nothing. I think those two are the defining moments of the Red Sox 2023 because they're no longer in like the attendance numbers are going to go down. Yeah. Fenway Park that's is part not of the reason going to be Heim Bloom was fired. Is I mean, you had I I think look, Heim Bloom had back-to-back bad trade deadlines and he had an underwhelming couple of off seasons. So there was some justification there, but it felt like his job was safe until remember that series against the Yankees where they had $1 tickets? Like it felt like that Turn the corner. Just for reference, folks, because Joe Braverman brought up a good point about John Henry saying it's expensive. The Red Sox are the third most valuable baseball team in the world. Four and a half billion dollars. The Dodgers just ahead of them at four point eight billion. Yet the Dodgers are spending all this money, not just on Yamamoto and Otani, but they spend a lot on player development and improving their farm system, which the Red Sox have improved their farm system. But I would not confuse their player development operation with the Dodgers either. And which I know is why, which is why the issue now is until John Henry tells Craig Breslow, "Hey, spend to win," no one's going to be invested. No one's going to be interested in this team. Yeah, like I could see the Red Sox if they walk into next year with just Giolito being their only big upgrade. Would they be better than last year? Yeah, I, I would think so because I think Casas will continue to develop. Yoshida will be good, but better than last year is not really good enough for I want them to be a lot better than last year and unfortunately it doesn't feel like that's going to be the case I do want to keep talking Red Sox a little bit after this break uh, because I didn't even mention that they fired I mean I briefly mentioned but we didn't really get into they fired Heim Bloom so we do have some Red Sox we do have some Patriots to get to we're gonna have Keith Smith joining us in the next hour to break down the Celtics and their recent run but until then we'll take a quick break we'll be right back T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 